Welcome to today's episode of Jeopardy. Let's take fabled creatures for $100, Alex. Here's your clue. A fictitious or mythical half-human sea creature with the head and trunk of a woman and the tail of a fish. What is a mermaid? But what does this have to do with medicine? Well, on today's episode, we're talking about real-life mermaids. Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast, Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. You're my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. Hi, interns, and welcome back. Today, we are joined by a super extra special guest by the name of Deacon. You can say hi. Hi. And Deacon is going to be co-hosting and asking all of your burning questions while we talk about mermaids. Sirenomelia is the medical name for a condition that earned the nickname mermaid syndrome. People born with mermaid syndrome aren't actually half human and half fish, but they do have anomalies of the lower spine and lower limbs where we see the lower legs fused together in a very mermaid-esque way. Sirenomelia was first described all the way back in 1542. That's a pretty long time ago. If we break the word down, siren is derived from the Greek word siren, referring to mythological sirens who were sometimes depicted as mermaids, and melos, meaning limb, so quite literally mermaid limb. Not the most original of names. No, not really. But at least it's descriptive. Mermaid syndrome begins during an infant's development while they're still in the womb. So this is something that would often be detected during pregnancy. By the time the baby is born, they will have partial or complete fusion of the legs, but they can also have a variety of other malformations, which typically are also in the lower body. It kind of makes sense because if the legs have fused together, you can kind of see how maybe other things got a bit wonky. Yep, I can. Some common uh, other issues would be malformations in the genital and the urinary systems, which all kind of live in that lower region. Um, the gastrointestinal system, which would be like your stomach and your like small intestine, your colon, um, the lower spine, the pelvis, and the kidneys. So pretty much everything that lives in kind of that like below your belly button range. The syndrome is ranked according to the amount 
that the lower legs are fused together. So these classes start at stage one. Do you want to guess if stage one is the better or the worse of them? I'm going to guess the worse. Oh, all right. So other way around. So stage one is actually the least um, malformation. So in stage one, they would have all of the actual individual bones um, that would normally be in our legs. And it's only the skin and the soft tissue. So like your layers of fat and stuff that are fused together into kind of like one big tube around all of those leg bones. So could it still be deadly? It's definitely very deadly. But if you were born with it, you would definitely want to be born with stage one if not that you have a choice, but stage one would be likely less deadly because if there's less things that went wrong with the bones down in the legs, probably less things went wrong with all of the other internal pieces as well. Yeah. And then uh, for staging, it would go all the way up to stage six. I wrote that in Roman numerals and I don't know why because then I'm like trying to do that in my head. I'm like, wait, what is V I I? No, that's seven, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and when you get all the way up to that stage of it, the only bone present in that whole like lower body is just one femur, which had been two, but were fused together, which is like your big bone in your thigh. So just one lonely bone? Pretty much. Yeah. They may have no feet or one foot. Or sometimes both feet, but sometimes they are rotated outwards and sometimes all the way to even being like pointing completely backwards. Would that hurt? I don't actually know if there would be pain involved. I think that with the amount of malformation and when I start explaining kind of why we think that this happens sometimes, I don't think a lot of the nerve development down there would be as advanced as what it normally would be where they would feel like the same amount of sensation that you and I feel in our feet and our legs. Often these uh, babies do not have a tailbone and the sacrum, which is like the bones that make up kind of the upper part of your tailbone region, um, those bones are often either partly missing or just completely missing as well. So With this kind of connection to issues around the tailbone, uh, some sources do say that sirenomelia is basically the most severe form of something called caudal regression syndrome, uh, which is like kind of a complex disorder that has to do with like how your tailbone forms. Um, But generally, science um, does consider sirenomelia to be its own diagnosis even though it's very similar um, in that there's a lot of things that went wonky uh, with the tailbone. If there's anything the same in between them I would count them as the same. Yeah yeah that's fair. So I guess I mean what causes mermaid syndrome? Like it's kind of a weird formation in a way. Do you have any guesses? Uh no I don't. Okay. That's fair because this one is a really tough one and it's a super rare condition. So like, I don't think a lot of people even really know about it. Basically, we're not exactly sure. 
So there's a few theories that we have, but um, because the condition is so rare and according to Healthline, there's only 300 reported cases worldwide um, and it has a reported occurrence rate of approximately like one out of every 60,000 to 100,000 new babies. That makes it pretty rare um, and it makes it really difficult to kind of study it very much because we don't see a lot of babies being born with it. I have two things. Go ahead. Um, the babies, they're, would they hurt themselves with all these like different changes? Could they like hurt themselves more easily? I do think like, especially before they've been born, like when they're in the womb, it might be very difficult because it's such a squishy space already for babies and with their bones being kind of so wonky and like their feet being turned backwards and it could be more uncomfortable for them um but really unfortunately a lot of these babies don't live very long at all um so it's we don't have many cases that have lived to a point that we would really be able to kind of study how that affects their development later on and isn't the tailbone just annoying? Pretty much, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure why we still need a tailbone, but apparently evolution thinks that for now we still do because it hasn't quite caught up and gotten rid of it yet. Yeah, and the reported cases, those are only reported. That's true, and there could be countries um, in other areas of the world that maybe don't have the same level of reporting of things or uh, especially in some really like remote areas of third world countries I'm sure that there's probably babies that maybe at some point were born with this but like the parents may have even feared reporting that to the hospital and the baby died really quickly and so they just didn't report it and kind of carried on so the leading theory on what causes mermaid syndrome it's something called the vascular steel theory and that was the theory developed when a man uh, named Otto Kampmeyer discovered babies with mermaid syndrome would typically only have one single umbilical artery. And he actually discovered this all the way back in 1927, which is like even before grandpa was born. What's an artery? An artery is a vessel that carries blood from the heart. So it would carry oxygen-rich blood away from the heart and lungs to distribute it down to the rest of your body. Oh, how many do we normally have? Well, this one is kind of specific because this um, is specific to the umbilical. So the umbilical is that cord, like when you're a baby, that connects you to your mom and then we chop it and it becomes your belly button is where that used to be so normally there would be two arteries in the um, umbilical cord and one vein and these babies instead of having two uh, arteries there they only actually have one so I'm going to cover just like a smidgen of anatomy uh, to kind of explain this theory but I'm going to try and keep it not too complicated Okay, good. All right. So for the most part, we all know what the aorta is, although 
If you don't, it's the main artery that carries oxygen-rich blood from your heart uh, through to the rest of your body. So the aorta leaves your heart and it heads upwards. This is called your ascending aorta. And then it kind of like does a funky little U-turn and turns 180 degrees and heads back down your body. And that part's called the descending aorta. And it heads all the way down your torso. And it's got little branches that spread out from it all as it goes like all the way down into your pelvis. Why does it go up if it just goes down after? Uh, Because it still needs to be able to feed very oxygen-rich blood up to your brain. So part of it goes up and then it's got little bits that uh, branch off and do their thing. And then it heads back on down. Okay. Once it gets down into your pelvis, it splits into two, basically like a fork in the road. It splits down into two different uh, sections. And these are your iliac arteries. And these both eventually travel all the way down uh, your leg, where we would call them your femoral arteries. So in developing fetuses, so babies that are still like developing inside of a mom's tummy, there's an extra component here, uh, which is that umbilical cord, which is super important for babies to get their blood supply because obviously they can't breathe yet. And so for them to get oxygen rich blood that has to come from their mom. So that umbilical cord normally carries two arteries and one vein, which connects from the placenta to the fetus. Are we going to lose another artery? I sure hope not, because then there would cease to be a fetus. I mean, like in that um, in that cord. Uh, no, we just lose the one. Okay. So in that umbilical cord, with its normally with its two arteries and one vein. That connects the baby to the mum. And those two arteries branch inside of the baby and connect to the baby's circulatory system. where And it kind of connects up right where the aorta splits in the pelvis into the right and left iliac arteries. So one umbilical artery kind of connects to each side. This system ensures that the baby gets lots of oxygen-rich blood and nutrients circulating all through the baby, but um, also because it's kind of, the blood is going in somewhere like centralized in the baby, the lower part of the body is also getting a lot of nutrients and blood that it needs. I feel like we're not talking about mermaids anymore. Not quite, but we are going to loop back to it because this is the best theory that we have as to why this actually happens. So in the vascular steel theory, the umbilical cord only has one artery and inside the fetus, the aorta, it doesn't split into those two standard branches. With only one branch of the aorta connecting to that one single artery from the umbilical cord, this artery becomes basically a thief in a way. Because it takes all of that healthy, oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood um, and it just kind of sends it, it it loops it through and then it sends it right back out again um, back to the placenta without ever giving it a chance to actually circulate through the lower body. So it's believed 
that this lack of supply of oxygen and nutrients to the lower part of the body is basically starving the legs and the lower part of the fetus uh, from being able to actually grow and develop how it normally would. I don't think it's supposed to be throwing all the blood away, is it? Nope. It's, uh, it's kind of doing a bit of a sneaky thief job, hence the whole steel theory. I actually think that's a really fun name for a medical thing. Not that like mermaid syndrome is fun, but like vascular steel theory. It just sounds really fun to me. Um, steel has in take something or like the metal steel has in take something because our vascular system is like our whole like blood and circulatory system. So it's literally like stealing blood basically. Okay. They sound the exact same. That's true. And they're only spelt one letter different. So pretty close. Other theories about the cause of mermaid syndrome um, include environmental factors. So that would be things like foods that we eat and pollution. And there are some theories about genetic factors. Uh, So some studies have proposed that if a mother has diabetes or exposure to cocaine uh, during pregnancy, that that can actually increase the risk of the baby being born with mermaid syndrome. But I don't think that that is one of our better theories because there's a lot of moms out there who have diabetes or who unfortunately have made poor choices about drug use. And those there's tons and tons of babies born to moms like that that definitely don't have mermaid syndrome. Well, they only said increase. They didn't say it will make. That's true, Dr. Deacon. I like it. Studies on mice have found some genetic markers, uh, which suggests basically that some people might be more genetically likely to have a pregnancy where mermaid syndrome presents. So again, kind of same like you said, doesn't cause it, but we have found certain genes where if you have those genes, you're slightly more likely that you could have a child with it. Why why did mouse come into this? We do a lot of medical testing on mice because we can't really ethically inject humans with a lot of things to test and see what happens to them because that's not very nice. Uh, not that it's nice to do to mice, but it's a lot simpler to... Uh, we do it with a lot of things, actually, with genetic testing, uh, with diseases like diabetes and cancers. We will actually like give those diseases to mice and then try different treatments to see what works and what doesn't. Are you saying we're related to mouse? We're close enough that they are an excellent candidate for testing in laboratories. But so. I'm not that small. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Not small like a mouse. Don't worry. I do think that as genetic sciences evolve more, given that, you know, genetic sciences has really only made like leaps and bounds in the last couple of decades, I think that we might find more genetic links or mutations that exist in this syndrome. And part of that spidey sense for me comes from the data that we have that does show mermaid syndrome is more likely to occur in one twin of an identical twin set 
then it is in either fraternal twins or individuals. So that's kind of an odd thing that tells me maybe there's more genetics at play here than what we think. Are we fusing humans together now? Thankfully, no. But some humans already come fused together. But they're called conjoined twins. So conjoined twins share body parts. There's actually a a really famous set of conjoined twins. I think it's Brittany and I can't remember. But they are actually like conjoined at the head. With that data thing, are we talking about secondhand data? In a way, I guess. it's It would be from people who have had uh, mermaid syndrome that have agreed to have their genetics tested um, that when they ran those sequences they found that there's there's certain markers in the genetics that seem to be common among the people that have it i see it's actually also more likely to occur in boys than it is in girls which is odd because then shouldn't we call it merman syndrome i mean i think right I feel like that was a really bad joke. Um, But it occurs in boys at a rate of 2.7 boys for every one girl. So that's almost three times the number of boys that have it than girls. Wait, so does that mean I can wake up tomorrow as a mermaid? Well, you'd be a merman, I think. But no, sadly not. Actually, happily not, because it's actually a really nasty disease. It's a disease? Wait, you can cure it? No, it's a syndrome. Oh. Yeah, don't mind me. I just, I like to toss words around, you know, confuse everybody. All right. I think, generally speaking, the vascular steel theory is recognized as being the most likely or being the largest contributor of something that we can actually pinpoint as knowing that this is definitely playing a role in it. And this also makes sense considering how many other malformations that we see in babies with mermaid syndrome. So this is not going to be an exhaustive list by any means, but I'm going to list some of the common conditions that also will happen with mermaid syndrome. So there will be babies that have uh, where the lower part of the colon and the opening out to the outside world where you poop I wish I could record your face for that one, Um, where that opening is missing completely. Uh, Babies will have spinal bifida, which is where the spinal column does not form properly, and it leaves a section of the spinal cord or the spinal nerves exposed. They can have heart malformations. They can have lordosis, which is a front-to-back curvature of the spine. So when our spine normally curves like this, they would have it the opposite way, so it would curve this way. Wouldn't that hurt? It would probably be very uncomfortable. Um, they can have a lack of any external genitalia, so your boy bits and your girl bits, um, and defects in the abdominal wall, such as having a portion of your intestines that kind of spills out through a hole that's near your belly button, kind of like a hernia, but not quite. There's other common malformations, so exposed spinal cord due to the vertebrae not fully forming and fusing, which is kind of similar to spinal bifida, but slightly different. A lot of things seem to be fusing right now. (laughs) That's true. There's a theme here. They can have anencephaly, which is a missing portion of the skull, uh, the brain, and the scalp. 
they can have a holoprosencephaly, which is where your forebrain uh, does not actually divide into hemispheres. They can have hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which is where the left side of your heart is like super underdeveloped and can't actually pump all your blood out where it's supposed to. Esophageal atresia, which is when you swallow something and it goes down your esophagus, it hits a dead end instead of actually connecting up to your stomach. Intestinal malrotation, which is just where your intestines are all kind of twisted up wonky inside your stomach. Front part of the brain. Isn't the front part of the brain the prefrontal cortex? That is way too end of the brain science for this time of night. Okay. I I want to say that the four that it starts out as the forebrain, like when it's a developing fetus, and then it turns into the prefrontal cortex once it's like divided into its sections. Mm, or that the forebrain actually encompasses like the prefrontal cortex and the cerebrum. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to Google that. It's not that late at night. It's late enough that my specific recall of brain anatomy is not quite up to snuff. The babies can also have persistent cloaca, uh, which is where your, basically your colon or your, the end part of your rectum, the vagina and the urinary tract, which normally should all be three very separate things, actually merge into just one common channel, which sounds like a nightmare, and I'm sure that it is. And they can have other limb defects as well. So... Like, they could be missing a leg? Well, they kind of are. I mean, they've got a mermaid tail, so... I mean, like, not fusing legs, like, missing a leg. Um, sort of, yeah. Because, like, when you get into the really advanced stages of it, they only have, like, basically one thigh bone with just, like, skin wrapped around it. Like, they don't actually have any of the other bones that we normally have in our legs. Like, they don't have kneecaps, they don't have, like, shin bones and ankle bones and foot bones like they just have a thigh bone isn't there normally two thigh bones ideally how many thigh bones do you have i think two i think two as well Uh, most of these defects that go along with having your mermaid legs um, are actually too severe to sustain life so Because of this, most infants with mermaid syndrome will either pass away during the fetal stage, which is before they're even born, or within a few days of being born. There's just too many bits there that are wrong that they can't stay alive. Has anyone ever lived? Yes, good question, because that is literally my next sentence. There have been a few exceptionally rare cases of babies born with mermaid syndrome who have lived far beyond the average life expectancy, and I'm going to tell you about them. One of the key characteristics that's actually been associated with survival is kidney function. So a lot of times when babies have this, their kidneys are malformed or underdeveloped or just completely absent, which you, you definitely need kidneys. So Tiffany Yorks of Clearwater, Florida, was born on May 7th of 1988. They're like 30 years old. 
Yeah, a year older than me. They would be 89 baby hair, not 1800s, though. (laughs) Before she was even a year old, she had surgery which successfully separated her legs. She had mobility issues due to fragile leg bones, so her bones were just not quite as strong as what normal people would have. So she was forced to use crutches or a wheelchair in order to compensate. But that doesn't mean she stayed a mermaid. No, they did actually separate the legs, but she couldn't really, she wasn't as mobile, so she couldn't really just like walk and run around like you and I. It doesn't change the intestines. That's true. But she had a lot less complications because she actually lived to be 27 years old, which is super crazy for a syndrome where most people with it will pass away before they're even born. She passed away on February 24th of 2016. I found one report that said that she passed away due to complications from her bone issues, but I can't verify the accuracy of that, so I'm kind of hesitant to say that that's what caused it. We don't know what caused it. Not for certain. I couldn't find anything in... We just need a few mouths to find out, though. Yeah, pet mice. Um, At the time of her passing, she was the longest surviving patient to have mermaid syndrome. Does that mean she's supposed to be famous? Um, I think she was famous in definitely in the medical community to have somebody with such a deadly uh, syndrome be able to live for so long. She was definitely a pretty special case. There was another case, and her name was Shiloh Pepin, not Auntie Shiloh. Oh, okay. And she was born on August 4th of 1999 in Ken, I can't say this, Kennebunkport, which is in Maine, which is in the U.S. So just somewhere in the U.S. Basically. Apart from the expected fused legs, she also had no bladder, no uterus, no rectum, no vagina, one ovary, one quarter of a kidney, and only six inches of intestine. I thought you were going to say no head there. <laughs> yeah, there was, there's a lot of things missing there. And... I mean, with that list, her surviving even past birth seems like nothing short of a miracle because those are a lot of critical things that we need to stay alive. At the time, medical experts expected that she would probably not live much more than maybe a few months at best. That's not very long. No, but I feel like the life expectancy for people with this is not very long in general. So basically, it's not long either way. Generally speaking. By the time she was four months old, the little bit of natural kidney that she had, that like one quarter of one kidney, had failed and she had to start dialysis treatments uh, in order to survive. She had her first kidney transplant just before she was two years old, which was a successful operation. Did the kidney not like her so it decided to fail? No, it's just too much workload on 
you're taking what should have been the work for two fully functioning kidneys and you have just one quarter of one kidney trying to do all that work and it just can't keep up. And then it, I mean, people kind of do the same thing, right? If we put too much pressure on people and they feel like they can't give up, sometimes they just are like, all right, I quit. I'm not doing it. Didn't you say there was supposed to be more boys getting the merman thing than girls, but so far both of these cases have been girls? Yeah, and what's really interesting is I actually went back and double-checked that statistic because when I was looking at the stories of people who had this, who had survived past just being like an infant, the stories were girls. And I actually went back and double-checked because I'm like, I think thought it was more boys that got this than girls so I cannot explain although now that I'm thinking about it maybe because it's more common in boys boys might have usually a more severe form of it so maybe because girls are not quite as likely to get it they have a less severe form of it and then they're more likely to live a little bit longer I don't find that really fair yeah, I, I don't really find the mermaid syndrome fair, like, period. I feel like it sucks to be all these people. Yeah. Uh, so after that successful kidney transplant, she lived through till 2007 uh, when she had just turned eight years old. And then she had a second kidney transplant, which was also successful. So that's quite common uh, in children that need to have kidney transplants. A lot of times they'll have to have another one done later when their body's a lot bigger and they need basically like a newer, bigger pair of kidneys instead. So they'll kind of swap them out. You're using all the years that my that most of the books that I read are made. Mm, weird coincidence. If you are listening to the podcast and you were already familiar with mermaid syndrome before this episode, there's a good chance that it's because you may have already seen Shiloh's case. She was featured on a TLC documentary titled Extraordinary People, Mermaid Girl. Interestingly, in Shiloh's case, she never actually had her fused legs separated. I'm not sure if there was a medical reason for this, since it tends to be one of the more common early on surgeries to be done with this condition, or if maybe there were complications and medical indications that would have made that surgery too risky. Shiloh lived a happy life regardless until she passed away on October 23rd of 2009 from pneumonia when she was 10 years old. That has nothing to do with the mermaids. What, pneumonia? No. Yeah. Wait, yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's true. But I think she was probably more prone to have health issues because of the kind of stress that her body was under normally from having mermaid syndrome. So she was probably, she probably got a lot sicker from having pneumonia than what you and I would get if we caught pneumonia. The last case study is of Milagros Saron Arroso. I feel, like, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. Um, who was born on April 27th of 2004 in Peru. And it's another female case. What? I know. It's super weird. 
Well, her heart and lungs were actually fully formed and without any defects. She did have a deformed left kidney, an undersized right kidney that was located abnormally low in her abdomen, and her digestive, urinary, and genital tracts all shared one single tube. In February of 2005, when she was not quite a year old, she had surgery to put silicone bags into her legs, which was basically to start stretching out that skin and creating more space for them to be able to do the surgery a few months later where they would actually start separating the legs. I don't see what Savon bags have to do with this. Silicone. Silicone. Like, okay. basically like water balloons. Are they going to pop? No, ideally not. Only a few months later, on May 31st of 2005, she had that operation, which was considered a success, and they separated her legs all the way to just above the knees. However, after the grueling surgery and recovery, Milagros became essentially a mute, so she no longer spoke or formed any sentences. Nobody knows if this was a separate medical issue entirely or if she had been so traumatized by the medical procedures that it was a psychological response to that trauma. Or did someone press a mute button? Sometimes I wish Aries had a mute button. Uh, Regardless, she did have another surgery in September of 2006 to finish separating her legs all the way up to her groin. She went on to live a long life for those with mermaid syndrome, and she lived all the way to October 24th of 2019 when she passed away at the age of 15. Wait, we're not splitting her in half? You can't split a person in half. Oh. So, have you heard that uh, Disney is coming out with a remake of The Little Mermaid? Does it have anything to do with the mermaid syndrome? Mm, No, not especially. But it will have The Little Mermaid and Flounder and Sebastian the singing lobster. Or is he a crab? I think he's a lobster. Have you seen The Little Mermaid? No. Really? Okay, that's my fail as a parent. Um, Yeah, so they're coming out with the live action of it. Kind of how, like, they came out with The Jungle Book and The Lion King. Um, sort of. Yeah, so they're kind of remaking it. But a lot of people right now on the internet are kind of divided on the issue because uh, in the original cartoon, Ariel, who's the mermaid, has very pale skin like you and I. And... In this live-action remake, they've used somebody with very dark skin. And so people kind of tend to be on one of two sides of that. Either they feel like that's not Ariel at all, because Ariel is supposed to be very pale and redheaded. Um, Or they feel like it's fantastic that they're changing the story a bit and using somebody with a different skin color so that, you know, little girls that maybe don't have pale skin and red hair feel like they still have a Disney princess to look up to. I feel like while the rest of the world may be arguing about the skin color of the Little Mermaid movie, we can remember that sometimes, very rarely in life, there almost are 
real life mermaids. Are these few all are all these fusing people gonna blow up? I feel like that might actually be better for the world if that happened. Okay. So many so many arguing people. I feel like everybody wants to have a hill to die on these days. That's an expression that I don't that's not literal. Like people don't actually want to die? No, but it, it just means like when people kind of pick something that they have to like stand for so strongly um, and they won't like give up that standpoint. And it feels like a lot of people in this day and age feel like they need to like take a stand for really silly things that I don't understand why people argue about them. I don't think I'm silly, so I don't do that. That's good. It's okay to stand up for things that you like really super, super believe in. But if it's something really silly about like what actress is in a Disney movie, I just don't feel like that's worth arguing with people about, you know? Yeah. All right. That's our life lesson for today. Everyone needs to calm down about The Little Mermaid. I feel like our life lesson was more about real life mermaids, not Little Mermaid. That's true. Maybe if more people spent less time worrying about The Little Mermaid movie and more time worrying about like research and development for real life mermaids, then our world could be a little bit of a better place. For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical Podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason Chamberlain. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode. There's a whole bunch of different mermaid types, and I don't know which one I'm supposed to believe anymore. What mermaid types? Um, well, there's sirens that are mermaids, but they kill people. They kill people? Yeah, sirens. Have you not heard of them? Apparently not. Sirens kill people? Are they girl mermaids? Yes. And they kill people? Yes. Like pirates? Deacon, Deacon's just shaking his head at me right now. I feel like he's embarrassed. Okay, why do sirens kill people? I don't know. They eat them. Like, they're like cannibal mermaids? <laughs> Well, they're not technically humans, so they're not cannibals. Where in the world did you learn about sirens? Um, basically anything that has to do with pirates has sirens in them. Oh, are they in Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes, they are. Oh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I don't think I like sirens. And then there's the little mermaid that's friendly and is friends with this dancing lobster right right and the little ditzy fish named flounder like i feel like she just kind of sings i mean kind of depressing songs but like for the most part she's like sort of happy kind of defiant and she sings a lot you know she doesn't eat people do you know any other types of mermaids well i know the mermaid syndrome now yeah the real life mermaids other than that no not really well 
there you go. You learned something new and I learned something new. 